Hello, true believers, and welcome back to the All Things Narrative podcast. And this conversation about Spider-Man went so long that we had to split it up into two parts. So, of course, as you can see by the title, this is part two. If you have not heard part one, I highly recommend it because we dove into the history of Spider-Man as a character and into, uh, we talked a bit about our personal introductions and we started to go deep into the mythos and the philosophy and the themes of Spider-Man, talking about how he has to balance his dual identity, Spider-Man as a coming-of-age story, the essentials of Peter Parker and Spider-Man, and we spent a lot of time talking about the, the three different live-action uh, films as well and those interpretations and how they're similar and different. So that is a great uh, place to start uh, before we get into this because we are going to jump right into the middle of uh, the conversation there. Uh, but before we do a couple things, um, if you are enjoying these episodes, not only would it be really awesome if you left us a review, but I'd love to just connect with you. You know, maybe you were listening to our conversation about the the different live action Spider-Man and everybody's got their favorite, right? You know, you team Toby, team Andrew, team Tom, and you know... All of us in the discussion, we have different ones. So maybe, you know, let me know which one's your favorite. And a great place that we could uh, connect, there's a couple ways we could connect on this podcast is, uh, you know, you could find us on Facebook and Instagram uh, at All Things Narrative. And feel free to just comment or say hi, leave a message, whatever. And we'd just love to hear from you um, that you're listening. You know, maybe you're a Spider-Man comic book reader and you love the comics. And, you know, when I read the comics, I hear the voice of the guy who uh, voiced Spider-Man on the 90s animated show, Christopher Daniel Barnes. Uh, and th that's when I read the Amazing Spider-Man comics. And when I read the Ultimate comics, I hear the voice of Josh Keaton from The Spectacular Show. And maybe, maybe you want to let me know, like, who your favorite is. Spider-Man is ever, or what voice you hear if you read the comics. Whatever it is, feel free to connect with us at All Things Narrative. And also, uh, you can go to allthingsnarrative.com and you can reach out by email. And one of the things that I really love about Spider-Man, because uh, we're going to talk about Into the Spider-Verse in part two here, and this is this idea that anyone can wear the mask. Anyone can embrace this uh, philosophy of great power and great responsibility and use their life uh, to better themselves and to serve others with the gifts they have. Uh, in other words, as we like to say here, living a meaningful story. And if that idea is interested is interesting to you in any way, then you got to check out our six-week Live a Meaningful Story workshop. Uh, there's another round kicking off right here in Lake Worth, Florida. Would love to have you out uh, as we, through six weeks, uh, learn how to be intentional about our lives, how to tell our life story uh, in ways that can inspire uh, ourselves and others to live more meaningfully. It's a wonderful time. It's a great way to grow with a group of people talking about stories and learning how to better tell your story. And so if any of that interests you at all, um, I have a link to the signups right here in the show notes. And feel free to sign up for an early bird special of $120 for all six sessions. And without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right back into the discussion. Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. 
Do you guys, are you guys hoping they make a Spider-Man 4 after No Way Home? Yes. Do you think they should keep going? I think they should keep Holland? going with, and it sounds like they're going to. Um, they're going to have a street, a street level Spider-Man where he's not in the cosmic threats anymore. Yeah. I hope that, um, I know everyone thinks it's going to happen, but I still think it should happen where uh, Ned, I almost said Ned Flanders. <laughs> That'd be funny too, but but Ned becomes yeah. the hobgoblin and he has to fight his friend that only he, he knows doesn't remember. Friend, yeah, and he has to go through even more trauma and guilt and sorrow. Um, <laughs> but I I am holding on to the hope for a Sinister Six. I know it will never happen the way I wanted. Yeah, to. we got our Sinister Six movie though. Shut up. I mean, um, Sinister Five. No, stop it. So, no, there is no, there is a Sinister Six. And who, no way home. Who's the sixth one? Mysterio. He's the one who pulled the strings for it all to happen. He may not oh. be in the physical fight, but, yeah, but he's, he is the villain he's that the orchestrator. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a sinister uh, there we go. So, so on that level, six. I will not accept it. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I, I just I hope that it can. I felt like the end of that movie set it up. I felt like that yeah. was his origin story, and now the real Spider-Man, no Stark aid, right? No special suits. He is starting from nothing with a sewing machine in a de- destitute, empty apartment. He's ready to actually take it on. I feel like this, his origin story is done. Let's get the real, not mistake. Right. Uh, let's get the real Spider, the real Tom Holland. There's going two out. big Spider-Man things that are is an embarrassment that have not been done in a movie. One is Craven the Hunter, oh, which I'm, I'm sad I, for what my yeah I, was, I I'm know. looking forward to that movie, the Craven, the new Craven. They're movie. gonna mess it up. No, they're gonna. They're screw gonna mess that it up. Where Craven is actually an animal activist. Ah, <laughs> oh. Craven um, needs to make Peter pee their pants. So, <laughs> exactly. So, like, how are they even going to do like the lion jacket? Because I don't it, know. <laughs> I just don't know. Actually, I won't kill animals, so, but I will. Really we probably lion. won't. Ooh, I probably won't. Man. That, but that is what No Way Home was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a cat and mouse story of Craven hunting Spider Man. But Sony said, "No, you cannot do that." Because we have our own plans for Craven, so then they're like, "Okay, nice. we'll just bring back all the other villains from the other films." Yeah. But okay, here's what I think Spider-Man Four should be though: play off Peter Parker not having any more connections, Amen. and have him be all in as Spider-Man, and have introduced Black Cat. Okay, yeah, I was oh, thinking man. that too. Have him and Black have him form a romance and be all in as Spider-Man and neglect Peter Parker, mm-hmm. and have Black Cat be that person that goes in with him. I think J. Jonah Jameson should hire Matt Gargan yes. to hunt Spider-Man yep. and get Scorpion in there and do Let's that go. whole story yeah. where Scorpion hunts him. And then in Scorpion fails, like second act of the movie, Scorpion fails to bring him in. So Jameson, in desperation, at the beginning of the third act, turns to Kingpin. And says, and Jameson's Daily Bugle struggling company, Kingpin says, I'm going to bail you out. I'll help you get Spider-Man. But I'm going to bail you out. But Kingpin will use (laughs) the the media to his advantage Mm. to mask all his operations and whatnot. And then have Kingpin um, blackmail the one person that Spider-Man has learned to trust in the movie, Black Cat. um, Have Black Cat bring him in. Um, and then Spider-Man turning to the one person who knows how to deal with Kingpin, Daredevil, 
and have no. a Spider-Man Daredevil team up. No. I thought you were going to say the black suit. That's when the black suit comes in and he starts. You could bring the black suit. I'm totally fine with that. But I think it is, considering how important Spider-Man and Daredevil team-ups are, like in comics and in shows and stuff, it is ridiculous <laughs> if you have Charlie Cox and Tom Holland. True. In the same world, and you don't do anything with same them together, family. especially yeah. if you're going to do Kingpin. That's and that absolutely has to happen because that is the whole premise of of Spider Man and Daredevil is the city. Yes, villains mm-hmm. within the city, and of course they're going to run into each other. Yeah, and so therefore I feel like that has to happen no matter no matter what. Especially, and I would love to see Kingpin in there. Yeah, and that that would be amazing. Yeah, that's my dream Spider-Man for. If you're listening, Sony. Um, well, I actually, I actually think I wouldn't even do a movie. I would just have Spider-Man appear in different things, just like how um, Daredevil is appearing and stuff. Just yeah, like how he's appearing in She-Hulk and um, what is having his uh, own. Daredevil's in She-Hulk. Yeah, he's in She-Hulk. Yeah. Um, what else is he in? He's in No Way Home. He'll of be course. in. He'll be in Echo. He'll be in Echo. Yep. So just appearing in stuff because again, yeah, this is when um no one knows who Spider Man is. So if you're seeing Spider Man just pop into stuff, right, I think that'd be a whole lot better than him actually just having. His it's own the movie. same. Sony probably won't let them do that though. Yeah, I would love to see maybe in the second movie. Again, pipe dream. Kingpin orchestrates the Sinister Six after the first movie. Then either we get Ned as the Hobgoblin in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, I do think Ned, Ned as the Hobgoblin. You really want Ned to... as Hobgoblin. I huh? do think that should happen. I want to spe- They've I built mean, it up way too ca- much. I want character development from terrible things happening. Hey, man, yeah. that means Which, Ned has they to love to get <laughs> Spider-Man. Ned's going to have to drink some of that formula or something like that to, yep. get, to get them muscle. Drink that, drink that Kool-Aid. <laughs> no, if you see him, he's thinning out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. he's he's getting buffer. Let me see. Oh, man, maybe he may come back as Hobgoblin. Yeah. Tragedy yet again. Yep. First Spider-Man's <laughs> development. But then, okay, because then that's a, that's another thing. So that would feel like we're taking him back to where he was, despair and all that stuff. If we just went through a whole trilogy or even longer of him going through that despair and him actually finding out that duality, are we going to reverse it back to how he was before and he still has to suffer and things like that? Look, Spider-Man doesn't catch on? a break. I don't know what you've been reading. Spider-Man is not allowed to catch a break. No writer will ever let him be happy, except for the writers of the 90s cartoon that got canceled. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it got canceled. They let him be happy. (laughs) They're like, nope, this can't happen. Right at the end of the episode, it's like, actually, we're going to help you find Mary Jane. Actually, we can't. No, you can't. Nope, we can never. He's not allowed to be seen happy. Ever. Well, there is this idea with Spider-Man writers, though, even oh, this will transition in, into the Spider-Verse, right? Uh-huh. That when Peter Parker has figured it all out, he's, he's he, Yeah, exactly. That's what Dang. they do. So, like, right. Caleb, like they no have that blind. line. They have that line where Peter B. Parker says, like, oh, he was he's basically perfect. Yeah. And that's like the writers telling you, like, <laughs> yeah, we had nothing left yeah. to do with that version, and so we had to kill dead. him off, you know? He either either um, live long enough to be someone else's character <laughs> development or... Or you die after your own. So you're good? All right, now you're going to develop someone else when you die. That's, That's what I, so funny. Well, what I really love about Into the Spider-Verse is, like, it's it does take this comic book world very seriously. I mean, it's very visually like a comic book, you know? Mm-hmm. But what I love about it is I feel like Spider-Verse and, like, No Way Home does this. No Way Home is obviously influenced by Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. Into the Spider-Verse, undoubtedly. Yeah. But I feel like um, it takes all these things that we've been talking about and puts it in one movie. So like if you think of like if you think about what Spider-Verse is, 
I mean, Spider-Verse is essentially, it's a coming-of-age story with Miles. It's a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a deconstruction done right, Ryan Johnson. Um, <laughs> Take a shot. Because it's also a reconstruction as well. Um, it's an origin story, but it's also a passing on the torch baton story. It's action adventure, comedy, drama, comic book adaptation, continuation. It's a groundbreaking experiment with the animation and the look. It's beautifully gorgeous um, from the from a film point of view. And it's a story about ultimately becoming the protagonist of your own story, you know? And like the first act of the movie is all about choices. Is Miles gonna Miles gonna make the choice to be Spider-Man? You know, that's like the departure of the hero's journey. And the second is all about belonging. It's about him finding the rhythms of what it means to be Spider-Man, the initiation. And then the return, the last third of the movie is all about identity. It's about Miles embracing this Spider-Man persona and making it his own. So we just watched Into the Spider-Verse together. And I know some of you guys hadn't seen it. Mm. So what are your guys' thoughts about it, um, about that movie? It was kind of long. I don't remember it being that long. Not yeah. in a bad way, but it was, I yeah. was like, oh, I'm I'm feeling this a little bit. <laughs> it, it, it's got good pacing. Yeah. But I, um, I've seen it before. But looking back at it now, I feel like when you were talking about that, he um, he had to really think about if he wanted to be Spider-Man. I don't think there was ever a doubt to Miles that like once he got these powers, it's like, okay. Or I, I guess... I guess right after he met Spider-Man, like Peter Parker, it was like, okay, I know I have to be Spider-Man. Like, I have to put this on and I have to take this responsibility. Yeah, I think once he dies, yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't think there's anything new that, that came up with me for, after watching that movie. It's still a really good movie. Um, and I enjoy all the characters, yeah. Yeah. Well, I liked the character development to the leap of faith. because that Yes, movie, that's that, my favorite. The leap of faith was when he fully became you know spider-man and and you know started to act on it right and then the graphics were amazing i loved the comic book feel to it it really felt um like a comic book series to me and um, i think those two things stood out to me the most yeah the leap of faith is cool because that applies to real life you know like Mm -hmm. anything we do that we care about is a leap of faith. We don't always know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Yeah. What about you guys, Nick, Jason, any thoughts on? I liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun. I think the one thing that sticks out is uh, Spider-Man as a mentor, the old yes. Spider-Man. Something I've waited all my life it to see. It was cool to see that. And there was one part where he was like, really happy for miles and he was like wait a minute do i really want kids yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was just funny to see older spider-man and then really for him to become a man especially towards the end so i mm-hmm. thought that was that was a standout for me but and it looked great the music was fun it was just a cool experience of a movie mm-hmm. yeah man I, I really especially when um he was even hyping him up hyping him up when he wasn't ready he's like he can turn invisible uh sometimes <laughs> he's got a shock thing that he <laughs> Also can't control. He's he's trying, and then <laughs> he's invisible right now. Look yeah, right. Like, there he is. but it was almost hurtful to tell him to stay to stay behind. Yeah, and he didn't want to, and he really wanted him to be able to step into it. But he even even before actually it was really interesting because he wasn't. I felt like Peter B. Parker was not being playing doing the self sacrifice play. 
out of a nobility. It mm-hmm. was more of a I have nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, he's living as a depressed person. Yeah. With you know, he doesn't have MJ. He doesn't really have a thing. He's like trying to get it together, but part of it is you know the self sacrifice. Part of it is him just giving up. Mm-hmm. And when and he didn't want miles to to be the one who gave up he he's like i'm just gonna do it. i may as well i'm i'm expendable like uh iron man in some instances but bro <laughs> but when, iron man saved the whole multiverse yeah. now so like well, anyways <laughs> i mean but he still saved it so you're yep. welcome called uh, peter parker his life too yeah. so, he's saving the universe yeah. but anyway he grew, <laughs> he grew up when he when he let himself hope again, mm. yeah. he held on to hope and said, you know what? I think I'm, I am going to try again. I'm going to take the leap of faith. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving into despair. And that's a lot of Spider-Man is he, like I said in the movie, he always gets back up mm-hmm. and him yeah. saying, I'm going to live that. and choose life. That's him getting back up and overcoming all this immense weight of sorrow, of identity, of the people he loves. It's Spider-Man is overcoming. He's not the strongest. He does mm-hmm. have strength. He's not the strongest. Yeah. But he is pushing that boulder up the hill. And I really like that. And the villains were super sick. Let's talk about mm-hmm. villains now. Let's transition. We're going to do that now? That. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. So, so you yeah. Wait, perfect. What do you, you think? What do you think, Doug? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, hop up. Hop up. All right. Well, I thought the movie was pretty good. Everything seemed pretty notch up. I was kind of surprised how quick he just wanted to be Spider-Man, not like taking it in. But mm-hmm. after that, it was actually good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's mostly I'm not going to keep this speech too long. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, but wait, also to touch in, in, touch upon, but this kind of goes into the villains as yeah, well yeah. with the Prowler and um, oh, Miles' man. relationship. Yeah. That's just like, every time I see that, that just always gets me. Yeah, me um, too. Because it's like, man, that's, it's, Miles has these two kind of father figures mm-hmm, in his mm-hmm. life. And one of the father figures is that discipline, but, you know, coming from a caring heart and one's yeah. more relaxed and it's also coming from a caring heart. But it's feeling his artistic, like mm-hmm. his, pa- yeah, exactly. But taking, but again, it goes with the, um, taking both, both from each side It's taking the good things from his father, yeah. taking the good things from his uncle to yeah. make him yeah. who he is supposed to be. Cause yeah. even, um, the uncle, when he was dying, he was saying that you're the best out of us. us yeah. Him and the father. Yeah. So. Well, there's essentially two kinds of Spider-Man villains. Every villain falls into one of these two categories. There's either villains that are, um, they all mirror Peter or Miles in some way. Mm. There's always, um, I think somebody mentioned that, the connection when like the Raimi films. There's always some sort of like, kind of like what we talk about with Batman as well, that distorted mirror with them. Yeah. But either um, there's villains that are like, on the lower side of the social totem pole that want to use their power for their selfish reasons um to get up there so this would be vulture mm-hmm. um doc ock sandman lizard electro mysterio scorpion rhino shocker venom prowler they are all villains that are just kind of in the lower level tiers and they want to use their power to rise above in some way right <laughs> and you know some some of them like have a they're products of science or they love mm-hmm. science like doc ock or lizard <clears throat> Some of them reflect Peter Parker and maybe the dark path he could have gone down, like Electro. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the other side of the villains, which are those who are already on top, and Spider-Man is a threat to their status and their position. So this would include Green Goblin or Norman Osborn. 
Craven the Hunter, mm. Kingpin, mm-hmm. Tombstone. These are the villains oh, that are already yeah. here, and Spider-Man is threatening to tear their place. So they have power already, yeah. but they use their power irresponsibly, but they think they're using it responsibly. But um, yeah, so with that idea in mind of the two different types of villains, maybe we should go around and share, like, who is everybody's favorite Spider-Man villain that you want to talk about? Mm. Mine is Doc Ock, which I've always loved. I've loved it in the in the comics, and I loved it in the in the movies, Mm -hmm. and even in this into the Spider Verse. Mm. Although it was a little different, yeah, um, I liked her too. She was had a lot of the same qualities. Same qualities. Yep. Yep. And so I think that's definitely my favorite. Cool. um, All around. I would say some people, there's a debate if like, who's the arch nemesis of Spider-Man? Some would say Venom. Some would say Green Goblin. Some would say Doc Ock. And you can make a pretty strong case for Doc Ock because he's pretty savage, you know, all all the things he does. Alluded intellect. Because he was the first one to actually start the Sinister Six, right? Yes. He is the one who starts the Sinister Six. Um, He also moves into Peter's bedroom. Because what? Aunt May rents out his room oh, when yeah. he moves out, and Octavius it. takes his room. So he is literally living in his enemy's room, you know, which is very good storytelling. And there. then he even he takes his he even takes his body. Takes Peter his body, body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love the Doc Ock in the PS4 yep. game. That might be my favorite version. Oh, I love like, and I like him in. I know you'll probably disagree, but I like him in Spider Man Two. I love. I him. do like him in Spider Man Two. And the Spider Man game where it's just a slow and sad descent. Yeah. Into corruption, and it's Peter watching his friend who he feels like he failed. Succumb to sickness and then succumb to vengeance and desperation because he's losing his physical body's motor functions and he's using science to save himself and get revenge. Because Doc Ock's whole thing is like, I am a genius and my genius must be appreciated. Mm -hmm. That could easily be Peter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like easily he could fall into that bully victim. Yeah. That persona. Um, Who else wants to share favorite Spider-Man villain? I'm going to go a little later because I could go off. Oh, guts. Well then, what's it called? Um, I say my favorite is Carnage, and okay. I wonder where you would think where you would where you guys would put him in those two categories. Because like I feel yeah, like he's his own. I know. I know yeah, I know. Name. He's yeah. kind of hard to place in. He's those. his own. I feel because like. I feel like with Carnage, there is that level that he's up here, but he's up there in his own mind. Right. Yeah. Where he's like I have I have a sense of power because I'm I'm a serial killer and I have power over the people that I kill. Yeah. And Spider-Man threatens to take that yeah, away. Yeah, that's good. Um, but I think, I honestly think Carnage is his Joker in that sense, just like where it's just an unmovable object and not, Carnage doesn't want anything mm-hmm. but just to cause what his name is. Right. Um, so I honestly, I think that's why I kind of like Carnage, just because he's so simple but he's just like, he's a real real threat to yeah. Spider-Man where he had yeah, to, Spider-Man good. had to team up with Venom to actually kind of yes. stop him yes. and it took a few times like yeah. they lost the first time and like I think the second time yeah it, the boy was menace the boy was sheesh and he was like the first one out of the symbiotes <laughs> to start making weapons out of his actual yeah. um like symbiotic suit so what do you think what do you think of this Joe <laughs> in the ultimate comics Carnage is actually created using Spider-Man's blood so that's interesting. So they use his blood and it's with the spider venom or 
Um, oh, yeah, the symbiote? The symbiote. Uh-huh. Yeah, the symbiote. That's what I meant. Um, I was thinking Harry Osborn yeah. um, in the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's the symbiote and his blood that makes Carnage, and that's what kills Gwen Stacy in the Ultimate comics. Oh, Carnage kills Gwen Stacy? I still kind of like that. In the Ultimate comics. Yeah, yeah it's pretty sav- savage. Dang. Yeah. So we got Carnage, we got Doc Ock. Nick, who do you got? Uh, I consider Kingpin more for Daredevil. So, mm-hmm. I, uh, And I know you're going to choose him anyway. <laughs> uh, I like the Green Goblin a lot, but my favorite movie is Spider-Man 2. And I think Dr. Octavius is awesome in Spider-Man yes. 2. Yeah. I think he's the most charismatic. Uh, he's mm-hmm. the, got some of the funniest lines. His um, suit and the uh, um, practical effects. Mm-hmm. Yes, so I love that. So good. Uh, probably the, the coolest to me in all of the movies. Yeah. And there's just a moment where he's building the fusion for the first time and it starts to go wrong and you start to see it go wrong and mm-hmm. he looks back at his wife and he looks back he just becomes very vulnerable. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a vulnerability to him. There's uh I didn't necessarily see him as super arrogant, but I only know him in that one movie and not throughout mm-hmm. the comics. Mm-hmm. But he seemed very interesting to me, especially yeah. in that moment as a man. And then he redeems himself towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, my choice would be Dr. Octavia. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, 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 I forgot to mention in Orlando, the Universal Rides. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I that love the ride. Thank you for mentioning uh, the ride. That's like one of my that, I mean, it brings it like to life because it's 3D and he's. You have Doc Ock chasing you, and you're just like, ah! That's the greatest greatest ride. Have you been on that ride? Oh, it's fun. You have like Hobgoblin throwing pumpkin bombs at you and fire going around. You've got Hydro Man spraying you with Mm -hmm. electros electrocuting your car, and you're shaking. They're all coming after you, and Spider Man like holds you with the web, and you start falling. Oh, I can't get over it. Hey, I'm down. Jason, who do you got? Well, like three. Yeah. I love, like I, I know I I do just love all the Spider Man's villains. He's got my favorite cast of villains. Yeah, from, me too. From Scorpio to Mysterio, Electro, Dark like I love all of them. Yeah. Um I'll I'll go quick on this, but I love I think design wise my favorite is Carnage just mm-hmm. he's the coolest one mm-hmm. he's the scariest and most deadly one he's the complete complete opposite of Spider-Man mm-hmm. and Spider-Man is like I want to save everybody Carnage, Carnage is I'm going to kill everybody <laughs> Every, right and I'm mad at you because you're trying to stop me that's, yeah. it, that's all he wants to do is yeah. Cletus Cassidy and the Carnage symbiote are like wait you want to kill everybody I want to kill everybody yeah alright let's do it like there's there's some discourse in Eddie Brock in, in Venom Carnage and Cletus are like, yep, we're good. Like, this is all we want to do. No. Um, and. But who's your favorite? But I, the thing is, I didn't want to. And I I love how the lizard is his friend and all that. Yeah, I didn't too. want to. See how first, he's still talking about three of them, though? Here's the thing. I love them all. <laughs> and it's hard. And it shows my choice. I didn't want to choose him for this. But after the 90s show and after everything else, especially this one, I can't help but love. Uh, his role in this, but the kingpin yeah. is who I want to talk about for this yeah. podcast because, and uh, and watching the '90s show, he is what I feel like the main antagonist yeah. in this show. Yeah, and Spider-Man doesn't even know about him for the first few seasons. Oh, right. he's behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But Spider-Man's thing is with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Kingpin is the most powerful person 
in the city and in this series in the world because he controls the crime across the world. Mm. Right. He's the most powerful person and he takes no responsibility. It's all to build himself up. And Kingman is kind of just a man. Right. But he's a man that's literally larger than life. Like, yeah. I love how they made him the size of two mattresses in the, in, in the <laughs> Spider-Verse. He is my favorite design in that. It's Dude, he's so, savage in that movie. Yeah, he is. He kills like, Spider-Man. Yeah, he, he kills uh-huh. the first Peter Parker. And he kills yeah. Miles' uncle. I like, love, like, the two-second wait where Prowler, like, just puts his mask on and steps back for three seconds. And he's like, you know what? Nope. Bam! Yeah. And shoots him. I'm like, yeah. Oh my gosh! He pummels, he almost kills Miles, but right. with his, he should have used two fists. He was the only one that time. But anyways, he is so savage and brutal, and right. he's just a really strong guy, but he has so much power and control and pull. It's all to make himself bigger and to make himself better. It's all for himself. And just the way that he manipulates, he pulls strings, and Spider-Man's the opposite. He always saves he and Kingpin super super rich. Spider Man has nothing. He's at mm. the bottom. He like almost. He's basically killing himself to save other people. He's destitute. He's using his own ingenuity. Kingpin mm-hmm. takes and manipulates yeah. others' ingenuity. In the '90s show, this guy uh, Smythe's father dies, and he comes up. This guy's in a wheelchair, and Kingpin's like. It's a shame Spider-Man killed your dad. Yeah. Let me roll you to help me yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> let me push yeah. you into my lab. Like, I'll let you go when you, like, I'll, I'll give you the chance to kill Spider-Man, but you work to me, for me forever until that happens. Yeah. Like, he he takes and manipulates right. uh, ingenuity. And he can, his own is just for the skill of controlling crime, but Spider-Man has all his own, can, and he's authentic. Can I give you a piece of info that might add to this really oh that's that might kingpin. be dangerous go ahead so um i know a lot of people love kingpin with daredevil and i think he is daredevil's arch nemesis mm-hmm. but kingpin he exists right not only did he start off but he is spider-man's fault oh really so in the spider-man no more comic issue 50 when he gives up being spider-man kingpin makes his move to take over Ooh. all the crime in the in new york and he uses Spider-Man's absence to rise to power. And Spider-Man has to clean up that mistake, that negligence of responsibility for obviously many years later. Mm-hmm. So even though Daredevil eventually, he becomes a prime antagonist, his rise to being the villain came because Spider-Man failed to act responsibly. Mm. Dang. But in the Daredevil, he's up to the same old business. He does the same stuff with Daredevil. Right. He puts the blame on him for everything and tries to take uh, power when when Daredevil's down. Yeah. And he is a really cool one. Yeah. Daredevil does do a lot of justice for the Yeah. Yeah. He well, double dips in two heroes, man. He's right. Bad. That's how, yeah. Two yeah. Yeah, really yeah. good heroes that are both red. Well, yeah. well, I love everybody's picks. Um, you know, I could talk about like Electro and Lizard are both really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. But I'm going to talk about Norman Osborn, Green Goblin. I love how Norman Osborn is like on top of the world. But like he's got everything he could want with his business and his company and whatnot, but it's not enough for him. Mm -hmm. So in the comics, he actually starts to take over. He wants to be like at the top of like the underworld and all that stuff too with his Green Goblin persona because he just has this lust for power. 
But um, Spider-Man keeps getting in the way of that. And the idea of goblins in like mythology is that a goblin chooses a victim to torment Mm -hmm. and will not rest until the victim has been tormented enough. Not killed. That's the crazy thing. It wants to, it, it, it's existence. The goblin's existence in stories is to continue to be a thorn in the side Mm -hmm. um, of the, the, the protagonist um, or what, or whoever they target. So it's interesting because Peter and Norman, again, they're opposites, right, in where they are socially, but they both put on costumes to become the fullness of who they believe themselves to be. So they both wear masks. They both put on these costumes and extend their personalities through that. I love like the speech that Green Goblin gives when he turns at the apartment scene in No Way Home where he's like, we're gods. We shouldn't need that. You know, it's like he wants the opposite of Spider-Man. He and the first Raimi movie does this really well because I think Willem Dafoe is the best live action Spider-Man. And he should have been a live action Joker Uh, as well. That would have been a great scene. I could have seen that. I'm happy we got him as the Green Goblin though because I don't know who else could have done it better. And it's interesting because um, in the uh, the Ultimate Comics, it's a little different, as I mentioned earlier, because um, Norman is trying to – he develops his Oz formula. Get it? Oz for Osborne. So he takes the, the spider venom um, and he infuses it with his DNA, the Oz formula, kind of like what you see with Harry Osborne mm-hmm. in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And it turns him into this monster. And Norman essentially sees uh, – Peter as like the surrogate son that he has to kind of beat into submission to yeah. get him to do what he wants. Um, it's very like a twisted child abuse mm-hmm. in that, you know, um, especially since Norman wants to mentor Peter and all that yeah. stuff. So it's really bizarre, like their their relationship. He He's more like a demon, like in that series. And you saw in the end of the Spider-Verse movie, that look of the Green Goblin, mm-hmm. that's his look in the Ultimate Comics as well. And then, um, you know, the ultimate comics ends with them taking each other out, basically. Oh. Peter doesn't kill him, but Norman dies from collateral damage from their fight. Oh, but then Peter, but then Peter also dies. Because no. Peter, what is um, Peter in the ultimate comics around like like eighteen or something? No, like not that? even. I think he only gets to sixteen or seventeen. Jeez, um, it's really brutal. But yeah, but it's essentially that the thing, the poetic thing about the ultimate comics with that is that Norman and Peter are both injected with the same power. Like they both have the same power, but one is using it selfishly and the other selflessly. And he obviously killed Gwen Stacy. But yeah, Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, that's my pick for my favorite villain. So... Let's talk a little bit. I know we're going to start wrapping up in a bit. So let's talk a little briefly about side characters, um, friends, romances, allies. And I'll start by throwing a, a hot question out there. Who is Peter's true love? Gwen. Definitely Gwen. Aunt May. <laughs> nothing, nothing changes except he loves Aunt May. Uncle or ben. everything changes except Uncle for ben. he loves yeah, Uncle, Uncle, ben. Uncle Ben. New York. New York. New York. Oh, see, oh, see, this is good. It's a good, good question, right? We have the ladies. This is all about this deeper stuff here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love. Sorry, forget about the ladies. <laughs> well, I love Gwen. I've always loved Gwen um, more than MJ, but I love MJ as a character a lot. And I don't think the Raimi films did her 
super accurately, mm. which is frustrating because that's who people think MJ is. The But the whole thing with like Gwen is supposed to be like, like she's like this very smart, she matches Peter's intellect. You know, they're on that same level. They have that love for science. But Gwen like pursues Peter because she believes that there's this goodness in Peter that he's not showing. showing. Yes. And Gwen is kind of trying to bring that out of him. She's trying to help make him better, um, no matter what adaptation it is, whether it's in movies or in the, the, the films and whatnot. And then, of course, Gwen is like the embodiment of also like this kind of very traditional, innocent type of girl, mm -hmm. just a good girl, you know? Um, she, in the Spider-Man Blue comic, which is about how they fell in love, she, um, Mary Jane brings him soup when he's sick, which is really sweet, right? That she brings him soup, but Gwen brings him Huck Finn because she goes to Aunt May and asks Aunt May, what would cheer Peter up? Mm. And Peter goes, my uncle Ben would read me Huck Finn when I was sick. That's true love right there. I'm so that's like you go to your, you know, to you know, and you find out what he needs. Like, oh, it's just because she's pursuing him too, yeah. in a way, you know. And I love that there's like a party. Um, and every but Peter doesn't show up to the party because he's fighting Craven doing Spider-Man stuff, and nobody waits for him except Gwen. Gwen stays lit up and waits for Peter to come to the party and just, you know, or yeah, like she's just so sweet. And that's when she dies, whether it's in the movie, <laughs> the, the, her death in amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. That's what she just dies. <laughs> her death in the amazing Spider-Man two is the most heartbreaking moment in yeah. any comic book movie. Cause yeah. you love their romance so much. In the amazing Spider-Man two. Yes. Yeah. You didn't yeah. like you didn't like the relationship in the Amazing Spider-Man really. movies. I yeah, I remember you saying I didn't that. Really feel those two. What? Why? Was it because they they felt annoying, like that, like that giddy, like? I didn't really feel much heart from those two movies at all, as compared to the Raimi movies, personally. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Are you kidding? That's like the best thing in the movie. Shows that he's the most savage one. And and which one? In uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two, when um he um you know oh when kills he kills Gwen, Gwen? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, just showing yeah. that Green Goblin's the most savage. I don't, I don't know how to tell you any other way <laughs> than I just don't buy their romance. Oh, see, I don't buy Toby and and. Oh, I do. I do. <laughs> I definitely. I don't me think, think me and Mister Darling do. I think I agree with Nick. <laughs> no, what I felt a lot more relational um in the first. No, what because all Mary Jane is is a childhood crush. Like, what do they share together other than that? The world not seeing them for who they truly are. I don't know. I was like, you not seeing them for who they truly are. I mean, like... There's the struggle of being together. Like, you know, it, Peter doesn't know, you know, he's kind of struggling with, can I be, you know... But yeah. that's what him and Gwen have, too. Yeah, but, but they didn't on to um, when, um, you know, Green Goblin died in Spider-Man 3. That's when they really got together in this. Yeah, there's like a so there's a certain longing in Toby for MJ. It's like a it's like mm. a painful and sweet longing to to have. But this what is he longing for? Because he here's the thing: her. if her if that MJ was like comic book MJ, I would understand. But she's not. They stripped her of comic book MJ's best they qualities. So, like for example, in the comic hey, book, in the comic book, MJ is drawn to Peter because Peter runs into danger. Aren't they neighbors? They're neighbors in the first one, aren't they? Yeah. In yeah, the in the movie. So yeah. They're like they're like 
childhood. Mm-hmm. They're grown they're in grown New York. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly they're right. Story, yeah. Yeah. See, I think yeah. it just it gets their romance completely wrong from the comics. Well, like, it I don't might know. be wrong from the comics, but tell them. But here's the thing. <laughs> Wait, tell them. Here's the thing. As far as the movies, uh huh. There's when tell he sees her struggle too because she had the abuse of dad, mm-hmm. right? This, right. And was neighbors with them. Right. She he he feels what she's feeling, so there's that connection right away that they have, and then the whole series is about. Can they be together or not? And then it ends in the what in the in the cemetery, you know, where it's the scene of. But uh, I don't buy that in Spider-Man Three that Toby well, would really acknowledge. Spider-Man. Okay, okay, because <laughs> that is part of my problem. Yeah, is I don't buy that he would act like that after getting MJ. I'm really only thinking of the okay, first two. Okay, well, well, okay, okay. Uh, I can kind of argue with that because now this is the this is the nerd that hasn't gotten anything he wanted. Now he's got that, but now how is that person really supposed to like act or really know how to act in something like that? Well, and I think he's yeah. developed. He's developed and realized that although that's who he wants to be with, he does he loves her more. He doesn't want to see her harmed in any way, so he loves her more to push her away. Rather yeah. than accept mm. her as, you know, and, and, and put her in danger. Mm. So it's like that whole thing. The whole thing was about should I, should I not? And then when they finally get to that point, he's like come to the but, realization that she could be in danger. If she but you have her. all that with Peter and Gwen. But, I but also, you have more than that. You have their mutual love for science. You love the you have the fact that Gwen like supports him in his role as but hold on and you you've also got the f- you've also got the fact that again what i shared earlier they make they help each other be better people like i don't see that with mj and peter that they actually help each other grow in any way so i think the way the directors choose to make a film, how they choose to shoot it, uh-huh. uh, is gonna affect the relationship. So the first two Spider-Mans are just warm. They're sincere. It's got that soap opera yeah. feel, yeah. Um, but that is not there in the amazing Spider-Man. I disagree. I don't feel, I feel this coldness in especially the digital look. So you may be looking at something, we are looking at the same thing in very different ways right. and feeling very different things. So right. the mm. way the way it's filmed, um, the way MJ is, Kirsten Dunst, I think, is just a good actress. Yeah, she, really oh, like, absolutely. I don't really, what's it, Emma Roberts? Emma, Emma, Emma Stone. Emma Stone, and that one, I don't, I didn't really like her in that movie, and though other movies, I do like her, but even still, it, it just doesn't resonate with me. I'm sorry, yeah. y'all. I'm actually not sorry. I'm that's sorry, my, y'all. That's my opinion, but... <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's not, not the story right. he needs. <laughs> right, it's not the story he needs. I think Nick is right in, in that that's what it is. Like hearing that. Yeah. You're, seeing, <laughs> you're, you're seeing it from a, a sort of different perspective. Yeah. Like the movie, you have, you feel it more in the, in the, with, with, in the original three movies. You kind of have that warm feeling where I didn't feel that as much in the and those well, and I think this I goes. I understand what you're saying about the character development and mm. their yeah. relationship. Like on paper, but, on paper, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone should be hitting the notes that you're talking about. Uh-huh. But when I watch it, I don't feel it. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of the way I feel too. I guess, and I guess, let me ask yeah. you guys a question: Do you feel like you relate more with Toby's Peter, I, like I, as a character? See, yeah. I think that's part of it too, because when I see Andrew's Peter, 
that's the Peter that I feel like I've read growing up all my life. And I feel like that's the Peter that for me, I like my personality and my, my history. That's the Peter that I feel like I've been with. And there's some really weird parallels with me and Tori and me and Gwen that we also kind of bring to the table as well. So I acknowledge that there's a lot of personal stuff. We're bringing our biases. We do. And I think that's the point is. The way we experience what's in front of us. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that's ultimately what it is, is who we connect with more, Mm -hmm. you know, and who we see ourselves in more. Mm -hmm. That's where we're going to feel. Because like the coldness that you feel you know, like I, I felt the opposite. Like I felt like, oh, I feel like these two just should be together and they need to be. To, like I felt like good when they were together. And that's why when they are torn apart, it's tragic. But um, I do love the fact that Noam brought up um, Tom Holland and Zendaya. I was As an option, there's no love for <laughs> it's crickets for MJ on there. I mean, I really think that she is my. Fa- no, I'm just kidding. I don't really. That's. I, I think both MJ and Gwen. Uh, I thought a lot. I think that the the heartbreak was really real in that second movie. In Amazing Spider-Man, or yeah, oh yeah, especially since it's kind of his fault. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the movie's kind of his and fault. he broke that promise. Well, like I'm gonna ignore the hallucinating dad, and I'm this is what I'm well, gonna but choose. but the thing I and love about dad was right. But the thing that I love about Gwen though is that like Gwen as a character, <laughs> like Gwen was raised by a police officer, so she has that heroic bent to run into danger and to help. She doesn't just want to stand on the side, you know. So like Gwen. And that's what I like about her compared to MJ in those movies is I feel like Gwen is a very active character who makes choices um, and doesn't have her choices made for her. Like I think she doesn't allow Peter to do – like even with her ultimate death, when Peter says you can't be here, he says – she says you don't get to decide what I get to do. Mm -hmm. If I have the ability – and she basically gives him the power responsibility speech. Like if I know how to do something, I need to do it. So it's like, it's just cool, like to see. But I mean, like the thing I love about to go to MJ though, the thing I love about MJ is that when Gwen dies, because MJ is like the party girl, she's masking her pain from her abuse and all the terrible things in her life. But when Gwen dies, Peter gives her a wake up call of like, hey, the party is over. When are you going to grow up? And like, it's really harsh what he says to her. But Gwen's death allows MJ to mature mature, Mm. and it's actually what allows her to love Peter in all in a lot of ways and and Peter also learns to heal from Gwen's death you know through MJ because Mm -hmm. MJ is okay with him being Mm Spider-Man which is that you know in Spider-Man 2 it's like so wonderful when like she stands there and she's like okay with you know like accepting that life Bro, you she, know? she left a whole wedding though, man. That was well, bad. yeah, obviously yeah, that's, man. but that's, that's yeah, that's some, she, that's yeah. wild, man. Yeah, um, yeah, but that is the theme with any love interest, whether it be Mary Jane or Gwen. It's this theme of um, there's bad and then good, right? From Spider-Man Blue Nick, mm-hmm. you know. I feel like in my life, there's always the bad and then the good comes, but it's always the bad, you know. So it's always like that testing that's there. I feel like and I feel like Spider-Man really represents this the the night is always darkest before the dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Are so there, so there's are yeah. we going to talk about any other side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Pick another one. So, you talk about Ned. So 
<laughs> Ned, that is not Ned Leeds, by the way, in the MCU films. That is Genki from the Ultimate that's Miles gang- comics, gang- but that's so a whole that's other gangster. thing. So, Anyways, go ahead. So, well, love interest, but I never really cared about that much in the movie. All right, who do you got? So, I've got, and this is mostly from the 90s show, but I appreciate them in the other ones. It's about, I. we would be amiss if we did not talk about Eddie Brock. Okay. And we did not talk about my boy, J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. <laughs> I love Jonah so much. Do you, He's do a you, giant jerk. I do you, love him. Do you know which which person, real life person, J. Jonah Jameson is modeled after? No, but please tell me. Stanley. Really? really? Stanley created him. Stanley's to, just yelling at folks. So, so everybody <laughs> knew that Stanley had a dark side. That because yeah, he was the editor in chief at Marvel, you know, uh-huh. somebody oh, knew he could be, had a very demanding personality. Yeah, J. Jonah Jameson is him, and so he Stanley basically said that he injects half of his personality in Peter Parker and half his personality in <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson. I love that, um, even and more. and his wife, you even know, who better. his wife is in the comics. Because he put his wife as a character in the Spider-Man comics. You know who it is? Un- Aunt May. It's Gwen. Gwen. Really? Wow. Yep. Which is why Stanley wanted Peter and Gwen to be together. And then the moment Stanley leaves the book, they get torn apart. Dang. The killer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Kills that was their wife. their plan was to kill her once Stanley. That's gonna be my next question. I was gonna be like, so did he um, end up killing Gwen or did? No, no. He okay. was. He actually. They did it while he was on vacation. That's they did wild. It. He was. He turned your back. <laughs> they actually told him that. Don't he actually told them it. that you have to find a way to bring her back sometime. And they did, and that was the clone saga. Oh, and then they killed her again. <laughs> so, like, in the 90s show with, like, Mary Jane, like, yeah. that's essentially what they did with her. Dang. They killed her, quote-unquote. Then they bring her back as the water, and then they die. It's the same Mary thing they did with Jane. Gwen in the comic. That Mary was rough. Yeah. You guys got to watch Traumatizing childhood moments. But Jason... Jason, anyways, Eddie Brock and Jameson, what do you got? So so the 90s I really love because the beef starts from episode one. (laughs) The beef. Uh, Yo, Eddie Brock gets fired twice within three episodes, indirectly (laughs) because of Spider-Man slash Peter Parker. And it's the slow, slow buildup of hate for both entities. And it's really, really good. And Brock kind of represents the people, the the minority people that feel stepped on by Spider-Man or by Peter Parker. And it grows and it grows and it grows and it takes away his humanity. And while Spider-Man rejects that hatred and that vengeance, Eddie Brock fully takes it on. Yeah. And it comes back to bite Spider-Man. Yes. And I really thought that it was cool because it's just something that gets to a boiling point that was happening in Spider-Man's shadow. He had no idea that this was even happening. And he was just kind of like, whatever. And then sometimes he would purposely kind of annoy Eddie Brock as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to bite him. And you know what? Kind of good because it showed him, like, you do step on people. Mm-hmm. And then Jonah is fascinating to me. This is really cool stuff. Yeah. I'm going back to my text that I ranted about to you guys when I'm watching the show. But I really like how Doc Ock faxed J. Jonah Jameson something in episode four. I thought it was just really funny. And um, I love how... So Jonah is not a terrible guy in this. He's a giant, huge jerk, but there's something that he encompasses that Spider-Man does that the villain's something that's love and protection. Mm. So so J. Jonah Jameson loves his son, the astronaut, and he sees that this is the true hero, unmasked, doing his duty to his country and to his family. This is the hero, 
and he despises people who act above the law. So he has his own sense of justice. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like it violated, and it ties into trauma from his wife, who he loved Mm -hmm. because his wife was killed by someone that he was investigating. Yep. That he, uh, that person, the mob boss, hit his wife instead of him. Criminal with a mask. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, if you watch that episode. Yeah, criminal with a mask. Yeah, if you watch the episode, Spider-Man is, like, trying to threaten him to, to like, kind of scare him and get him off Peter Parker's case. And he says, get off my case, Jonah. And, like, he has a PTSD flashback. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's of his wife dying of a mob boss saying that over the phone. And he's like, uh, uh, uh. And Spider-Man says, you hear me? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And he's just holding a picture of his wife. The shows back in the day used to slap. Nowadays. Yo, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, it, it was, that's wild. And, like, huh. They only had a 20-minute runtime, and they have all these amazing concepts just yeah. smothered in... Yeah. In censorship, but anyways, so he goes out of defense for his wife in the memory of her. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm doing it for her. And he actually does care. And even in Spider-Man 2, or Spider-Man 1, Green Goblin threatens him. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know who Peter Parker is. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. He goes, I don't know who sends me the picture that just uh, come in the mail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he he's not a bad guy. He's a huge jerk, but... He stands for love and protection, and he loves New York. Yeah. yeah. He and Spider-Man both love New York. I'm, going, I'm flipping to my, my notes. While oh, you're flipping, I'm going to... Oh, can Joe, go ahead, Joe. No, I was going to say, while you're, while you're flipping through, it reminds me of um, the last two episodes of um, the animated series when J.J. Um, is saying, like, hey, like, Spider-Man, I thought I knew you were horrible, but I didn't think you were going to go, like, this far yeah. because right. he really, really loves New York, and that's that protection. I I have, I'm gonna make a bold statement about J. Jonah Jameson. No, I, I think notes. I think he is the central antagonist of Spider-Man. A central antagonist? Yes, the main antagonist, not mm. not villain. I'm using the word antagonist mm-hmm. because he is he's there from issue one. He's there, and if you look at a lot of the struggles that he goes through in the in the Stanley run of the comics in particular. Mm-hmm. Like he quits because of Jameson mm. in mm. issue fifty. Like he constantly has to deal with the press because Jameson is using the press against him. Mm-hmm. There's a whole section in Stanley's run where Spider-Man's a wanted criminal uh, because of Jameson. There's other sections where Jameson brings villains in mm-hmm. to yeah, get Spider-Man. Scorpion. Right. And, um, and he was even in that robotic suit at one time. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so the uh, the thing is, is that Jameson, again, not a villain, but an antagonist. In other words, he is keeping Spider-Man from being seen as the hero for who he really is. Mm-hmm. And he is the one that perpetually keeps Peter questioning. Yeah. The villains don't get him right. to question if what he's doing is right. Yeah. Jameson is the only man in the comics who can get Peter Parker to second guess everything he's doing. And you know the scene in No Way Home where after Aunt May dies and Peter Parker is standing there mm-hmm. in the rain Oh, and yeah, Jameson, just that cover yes. right there. And mm-hmm. Jameson is giving that report about how Spider Man is a menace and, mer- and, and someone died, right? Mm-hmm. And he and you yeah. see on Tom Holland's face the weight that he's feeling from yeah. those words. That's how Jameson can be like J.K. Simmons is brilliant. Um Yes, yes, but he, but he's not, he's not someone that Spider Man can go beat up or anything like that. He is somebody that 
he Spider-Man cannot win against him. Mm-hmm. He That's is the cool. only antagonist yeah. that can beat Spider-Man every time. Yeah. And no matter how much good Spider-Man does, it's never he even saves his life mm-hmm. multiple times. And it is never enough because Jameson's trauma mm-hmm. with his wife and because of his views are so cemented, he cannot break through. Do you mm. I'm gonna ask a, a weird, maybe bold question. Do you think Spider-Man would be the person he is, like, not giving into pride, not getting, well, I know he does sometimes, but we think that he would be the person he is without Jonah. Like, does no. Jonah maybe even keep him in check a little bit? Because I, I, he's, like, that, yes. devil's advocate. Because, yes. Yeah. Because in that early, in some of those early Spider-Man issues, he has that idea of maybe I should just be the menace that he says I am. Yeah. And he flirts with that idea, but then he realizes I can't be that. Can't but be I want to, Jason, I want to read something to you. Okay. This is a quote. This is my favorite J. Jonah Jameson quote <laughs> that he says. He says it in the, uh, it's from a comic, but from one of the Stan Lee comics. And he says this. Um, it's a monologue that he says as Spider-Man goes away one day. And he says, you've seen me make a fool of myself. You know I'm not half the man you are. And for that reason, I've got to drag you down into the gutter because I can't live with anyone knowing that the lion of publishing, the great benefactor of the little people, that heaven help me, that J. Jonah Jameson is actually just a weak, ordinary man. Wow. Sounds like the Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. I like that, and it's it's he's hopped up on his whole his pride. Yeah, like he's got good qualities, but they're twisted by by pride, yeah. right? And by trauma. Yeah, but like he he the same things they. It's funny how he's a huge antagonist, but they both don't like manipulation. Mm-hmm. Manipulation. Mm-hmm. They don't like those who take advantage. Jonah like has regrets. He regrets the creation of Scorpion. He admits. Mm-hmm. I was wrong about Spider-Man. He put out a million-dollar award, mm-hmm. and he took it back publicly on the air, said, I was wrong. I take this back. So he has his own values that he doesn't cross. He's still like a human being, and I love how the show like still keeps people as humans. Even Eddie Brock is a, is a person, and they flesh them out. Yeah. But he, uh, he doesn't like – and he is, even gets involved in that hostage situation, which is funny. He's cordial at first. And he just starts snapping on Doc Ock. He's like, you're everything that's wrong with this yeah. city. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Person, Captain, you're terrible. And he's, I'm like, bro, stop it. But he, Doc Ock's just at the other end. Oh, well, you know, well, I actually think I am going to kill him now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, that's good. I really do love, it's, it's hard to imagine Spider-Man. I think, yeah, it's hard to imagine Spider-Man without J. Jonah Jameson. It's just. That is, and I just love, that is, that is the big yeah. missing thing in the Mark Webb Amazing Spider-Man films mm. because they try to have Captain Stacy play that role, which yeah. is the opposite of who he is in the yeah. comic. That's the one character they really get wrong in that those films. I like what Dennis Leary did with him. But yeah, I agree, Jason, that Jameson is such an essential character for Spider-Man's mythos that if you don't have him, if really you feel it. You're missing it. Imagine Ice Cube as JJ. Ice Cube. <laughs> no, I actually wouldn't like that. I just done. Anyway. Give me some spider pictures of Spider-Man MF. <laughs> he was in oh. that um, that ride in Orlando also. Oh yeah. yeah. Well you I love oh, when really? you walk in in the yeah, Universal and it's like this big dictator like picture of him. Because <laughs> you go in the Daily Bugle, that's where uh, you wait yeah. in line, is in the, the Daily Bugle. Oh, wow. You're going out to take 
photos. Take photos for Jameson says he can't find yeah. Peter. Yeah. I love that. It is great. That's, His presence on the really ride funny. is great. Yeah, I love I it. He is a central. He's got to be a part yeah. of this um, Any other flat, uh, side characters um, that are worth talking about? I know Harry Osborne is a great character. Yeah. Um, I don't get why. There's actually a comic book behind your head, Joe. It's the first comic book where the Comic Code Authority um, label is not on it because um, Harry Osborne gets hooked on drugs. Um, and, and even in the Death of Gwen Stacy issue, it opens with Harry Osborne tripping acid um, on a bed and nobody can get him back to reality. I mean, Harry Osborne is such a tragic... He, is, he might be the most tragic character in all of the Spider-Man mythos and nobody is bold enough to push him to that level of tragedy. Like they try in a lot of different things, but his story is so, so sad. You know, like here the you way- are with a, with a father that is a multimillionaire and that father doesn't even give you the respect, but he will give your best friend the respect yes. and just treats you as trash. Not even just in front, like well, and behind the scenes, but in and, front of and your so friend. Harry like brings Peter in as a roommate to try to like dang, I bet that get, sucked. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, but and yeah, it's reluctant because Harry like knows that his father likes Peter, yeah. but he wants him as a roommate because he thinks his father's gonna come visit and spend more time with. It's so and and it's a very one-sided friendship too. Peter is always there for Harry, but mm-hmm. Harry is never really a good friend to Peter, you know, like much of the time. Mm-hmm. It's very one-sided, but it's tragic. Yeah. Tragic friendship. He develops a drinking problem not only in the Amazing Spider-Man, but watching Spider-Man 2, he starts drinking after the whole Otto Octavius failed experiment thing too. Yeah, they do give him a they like giving him a drink. I don't know why they won't let him touch drugs because that is like seriously. He spends like thirty issues having a drug. Like he gets sent to rehab. It's, it's they'll probably make it an R-rated movie. Yeah. Yeah. Sell it to a certain audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but that's what was so powerful about that being printed in the '60s at the time where LSD and drugs were so prominent yeah. and being such a high, like, acceptable thing. You know, pop culturally wise, you had the tragedy of Harry Osborn. Um, and what that was doing in his life. Another side character that I think doesn't get enough credit is Flash Thompson. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people just think of him as a bully. But um, when he goes, when they go to college and Flash can't figure out why Peter keeps getting all the chicks, Flash realizes he needs to let go of his glory days of high to school. Let go. You're right? Oh my gosh. And, and he. Um, <laughs> After being saved by Spider-Man, he wonders what his life is amounted to, and that's when he enlists in Vietnam. And then that's how he gets he, Agent Venom. Yeah. Yeah. He goes – well, cool. they, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, Agent Venom's kind of a retcon, but yeah. But basically, he goes off to Vietnam, and it changes him because he wants to be a hero like yeah. Spider-Man. Um, and it's a big point of contention because it's like, you know, Peter is like, is he the real hero or am I – a fake, you know, mm. um, and Flash actually becomes a mirror for Peter of maybe what a hero could be, and then Flash comes back and he's obviously incredibly PTSD yeah. and seeing the redemption of him and Peter's relationship from being the bully and the victim to being Peter being his bully for a while, mm. and then eventually them coming to mutually respect 
each other, you know? And the Amazing Spider-Man series did that perfectly. Yeah. Flash was the bully, then Peter bullied him, and then by the end, they're they're buddies. Yeah. And that's perfect. It's perfect. That's a, that's a great short character arc of there. Because Flash is one of the most in-depth characters in the comics, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful story. Um, but yeah, um, any other, like, favorite Spider-Man moments before we kind of wrap up with how Spider-Man inspires us? Any other, like, just fun moments you want to talk about in any particular medium or form or adaptations or anything at all you want to add before we close with our final piece? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Um, the symbiote stuff. Yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. like it in the 90s and... Contrary to popular opinion, I like how they handled it in Spider-Man 3 with how he got it. Yeah. And yeah. how he lost it to Eddie Brock. Like right. the scene in the church was really, really cool. When he wakes up and he's on the the side of the building. When I was a kid and I saw that, and when I was a kid and I saw this movie in general, I liked it. I liked Skinny Venom. Don't really much anymore. I did hate the dance scene. I I, I liked like it was cool to see that and mm-hmm. just how much stronger he felt, how he acted, and him losing it. And it it actually comes from the '90s series too, in the dream sequence right. that happens when yes. he when the Venom symbiote crawls onto him, where it's his Spider-Man suit and the symbiote wrestling for mm-hmm. him and fighting over him, and eventually the symbiote suit the, they're both giant by the way rips him out of Spider-Man suits grasp and then consumes him and then the first thing that that spider-man does when he wakes up on the building as he gets down there's a million dollar bounty on his head and like just construction workers start coming after him yeah he's throwing them right and he's like what am i doing because that's the regular spider-man at first and then he goes defending myself that's what and you're like Ooh, this is spider-man doesn't throw to civilians what's going on and then he starts to become that menace and you're like, this is very, very different. He stops making quips and he just threatens or yells at his villains. I'm like, this is, right. this is not Spider-Man. But the way they did that, and it's just, they were cool moments. Well, I, I love, I cool love how the spectacular Spider-Man show, which we watched this episode together, mm-hmm. I love how it added this piece in the Venom symbiote saga of, an, of a mental battle mm. where the symbiote had infected his mind and mm-hmm. he had to try to go dig through past memories mm. and the symbiote was trying to poison his memories and trying to twist what actually happened, um, which is, that's a great metaphor for sin. Yeah. Like, you know, about when we let something like fear or greed or lust mm-hmm. or pride or envy, whatever it is. And it actually can distort the narrative that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I love how the symbiote, like it shows that the symbiote was changing Peter's perception of the world mm-hmm. and of his self and his experiences. And that it wasn't just the physical battle on the church. It was the spiritual battle mm-hmm. for, for his, his soul yeah. that the symbiote was doing too and to piggyback i guess with venom and spider-man 3 um one of my favorite scenes in that or even in the whole trilogy i guess is yeah. when um it's sandman and venom and it looks like they're about to win and uh sandman slamming spider-man on the, mm-hmm. on the steel pipes and then harry comes and harry saves him and they're both teaming up cool. to actually yeah. save mary jane it just it's just the music them actually together again and just like actually defeating but i was like oh that was like yeah oh that was yeah. my heart it's not an <laughs> under demon movie I, lo- I love that part yeah and then he dies yeah yeah <laughs> 
and then he dies. Ah, I can end, on, that can yeah. you can end that with every Spider-Man story. Yeah. yeah, and then he died. And then he died. Funeral. I mean, he was gonna die anyway. Yeah, he yeah, was, he was. Die Any other quicker. like particular moments you guys want to talk about before we get to the final part? Any just moments that we kind of missed that you're just like, whoa, I have to mention this. Well, I remember in uh, Avengers Infinity War with um mm-hmm. when, when Thor came down for, into Wakanda, that was such a memorable moment. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. I'm just I'm just saying nonsense. Wow. <laughs> oh man. Time to hit him. What? That was a very memorable moment. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, he's about to kill us. I, I think like Spider-Man catching Winter Soldier's arm. I like that. Yeah, I yeah, that's cool. I love like the tension. So like, um, there's always like I feel like this race against the clock. Like, what Spider-Man is doing has consequences beyond what he can see. And so like between his Peter Parker life and his Spider-Man life, what's he like? Time sometimes is the nemesis. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't have enough time. And I loved in like. People, man, people hate on The Amazing Spider-Man too. Obviously, you could tell from me bringing it up that I love it. It's not perfect. It's definitely not as good of a movie as the Raimi films. But in terms of the ideas, I just adore them because I love the idea that of every scene in that movie is about running out of time Mm -hmm. and how is he going to fight against that nemesis, so to speak. And, you know, like the clock tower and everything. Mm -hmm. And that idea of the ticking clock, there's also something about that like in Spider-Man Blue where um, it's like Craven is like uh, manipulating the forces of nature, you know, lizard, vulture, rhino, these different villains. And that nature or fate is coming, is trying to come against uh, Peter and Gwen being together, but they want to be together in spite of fate and nature and destiny and all these things conspiring against them. Let's see any other moments that I could think of. I mean, I just love the little moments. Like, um, again, in in the Amazing Spider-Man two, in that movie, when he's going around and he's saving people, and there's the boy who that there's the bullies picking on him, and Peter uh, once uh, is amazed at his science skills, his his project, and then walks him home. I I just love the little things like that, or. The moment in No Way Home when the three Spideys are together, which is probably the most fun I've ever had in a movie theater, was like seeing the three. Like that was trippy. Watching all three Spider-Men together, talking about their experiences, talking on the rooftop with Tom about loss and everything and grief. But of course, you know which moment I'm going to mention now. When MJ, Zendaya MJ falls. And Andrew's Spider-Man saves her, but doesn't do the same. You know, he's Mm -hmm. learned how to catch her, you know? And he just has that moment where he looks at her. He knows that that's what he should have done, but he got his moment of redemption. Mm -hmm. He got to try again. That actually, that moment um, is pulled from Mark Millar, um, who wrote Civil War. Mm -hmm. He did a series called Marvel Knight Spider-Man, which I have back there. And that scene is actually pulled from there where Green Goblin, out of his sick, twisted trauma, wants to recreate the death of Gwen, but this time with MJ. And so he literally stages it all over again to recreate the trauma. But then Spider-Man, of course, gets the chance to save MJ the proper way, you know? 
And it's just a really like powerful moment. Do you think that Andrew Garfield was setting up mannequins and just throwing them off the building to practice the perfect catch with with catching somebody or? Oh, I don't know. I just know that that I man, <laughs> that man is just such a, he's my favorite actor. Just he's pushing, just so good. Just but um, <laughs> let, yeah. Were you going to say something? I was just going to say one more unless you're going to get right Yeah, go for it, and then we'll we'll wrap up with this yeah. last part. So just because I feel like it'd be an injustice if we didn't mention it, but Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin in No Way Home. I, I mentioned like, him. Oh, you did? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure. Yeah. We can mention him again, though. He's yeah, amazing. Like, that was amazing. Just I love those fight scenes oh. with he. Did you know he so did intense. all the, the fight, fight scenes? There is, yeah. That is not a, a stunt double, nothing. At oh, 60 old. years old, yeah. he did all those Throwing, fights. T- and yes, if you watch the behind the scenes, they really are falling through stuff. Yeah, like, cool. the sets are real. Like, the whole second half of No Way Home feels nothing like the rest of those movies. Instead of them all being digital, like yeah. like they're all practical Finally. effects again. And I'm just like, where has this been? You capable of this? Just the lines were so good. And I, he was just an overwhelming threat. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, when I saw him and he's like in his rags, I'm just nervous. Yeah, and me then, too. What's funny, the thing is, I actually, for a second, I put him aside. I'm like, there's another threat. And then he was just asleep the whole time, mm-hmm. and he became the threat. <sighs> and it was so scary. His he, his face, his lines were delivered so well. It was just so cool. And well, they really play up Doc Ock's going to be the main antagonist. And then yeah. when he gets cured, you get the sense of hope that things are going to work yeah. out. And then but then you that realize oh, that. Oh, yeah. And that was the yeah. enemy. That's that the best scene in that movie, by yeah. the way, that is that the, tension. That was the enemy that became the fr- the friend, but the real threat was the one who came. The only one. The who one who seemed like a friend. Yeah. Be- a friend. Yeah, yeah, I love how you worded yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Because even Sandman was like, wait. Who are and then he just yeah. got zapped back into the thing. But he was the one who came as innocent and weak, and he was the worst and most dangerous. He threat. said, "Oh, Spider Man, I'm 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 so weak." And Electro <laughs> and, uh, and, and Electro was one tick away from being cured. Yeah, one oh tick. Gosh. Oh, I mean Jamie Foxx is that was just who he was. He, he wasn't was really Electro. Too. He was just Jamie Foxx in the MCU. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I. He I was, think he nailed Max Dillon. He made me he made me nervous every time he spoke. I'm like this this man's a problem. Leave him in the dungeon. He's not good. Like, do you hear what he said? He's gonna kill. Leave him in the dungeon. This guy just puts me yeah. on edge. Of, he's so good. Well, let's end with this, guys, because we've gone on long enough. I will definitely be splitting this in multiple parts. <laughs> but um, let's end with yeah. this. So, how does Spider Man inspire you to live a meaningful story? Um, Nick, why don't you start? I actually had to look it up because I was like, I don't even know how this dude inspires me. No. Um, <laughs> there was a, a quote that said, with great power comes great responsibility, but it's actually with great responsibility comes great power. Mm. And I was like, oh, um, Kingpin has no responsibility and mm-hmm. he has actually no real power inside mm. himself. But Spider-Man does. And so that is inspiring, the way that he... Um, uh, takes responsibility and desires responsibility and then he's able to grow from that so with great responsibility comes great power mm. Joseph um, I think I would say um, and this line was kind of talked about in the Spider-Verse movie but when Spider-Man falls you know he gets back up and just that even when you get knocked down in life it's just a continuous getting back up and dusting yourself off and, and taking those licks but also throwing those licks so yeah 
Yeah, good. How about you, Dave? I think um, <clears throat> what he inspires me is the fact that he is an average person. Yeah. Who's given responsibility and struggles with that and still takes the leap of faith yeah. to follow that and to see where it leads him and, um, and acts on it. I just, I feel like that's our life, you know, mm-hmm. everything that we do is, especially as a Christian, you know, you get, you have responsibility now as a Christian with the Holy Spirit. You got to take that leap of faith and act on it and see where it leads you. So it's, I feel like there's a, that's how he inspired me. Yeah, that's good. Jason? Um, What inspires me is that Spider-Man has something in himself that he cannot help but save or reach out to help. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something I'll see. Like, if I feel like someone needs something, I just, if I don't act on it, it eats me up all day and I can't stop thinking about it. But Spider-Man, as soon as he sees someone and it's consistent throughout, throughout all media, he just has to act, and it's almost reflexive. He yeah. can't, he can't stop it. And even if he tries to quit Spider-Man, he always picks it back up yeah. to, to go for someone else's life over his own. Yeah. Wait, Dale, what do you think? How does yeah, Dale? How does Spider-Man inspire you? If I had to be honest, now don't hate me for this, but he doesn't kind of, kind of inspire me. But really, most of inspires me is. Kevin Hart. <laughs> no, just listen, just listen. Just listen. Although he's funny and a little appropriate, he still has a good heart and he shows how he appreciates people just the way as Spider-Man does. So <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> you know, it shows me that I can be that good person just like those two. There you go. So, yeah. All right. Sorry you guys hate me. But no, yeah. no. Man, I love you. No, it's been I so good. Thank you guys. You've been so thank you for being so patient because I know this is really long. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been fun having you. Nick's like ready to fall asleep. Nick, Nick, you wanna stay Nick, you wanna stay and watch a movie after this? <laughs> let's watch two movies. Let's do with the marathon tonight. Bet, you guys let's wanna start see it. season one of I'll watch Last Spider-Man Jedi with you tonight. All right, I'll end with this. So I believe that a good life is about pursuing and discovering what brings you most meaning. And I feel like that's the journey that Peter Parker is on is like how Spider-Man can bring him the meaning in his life that maybe he was lacking beforehand and how he's able to um, kind of go through his life and take these experiences and use them to make him better. Because things aren't always going to be in our control, but it's the way that we react and respond to those things and the things that we can control. Like, because things aren't always going to go our way. And I take comfort in thinking about, you know, someone like Peter to remember that. You know, I think about like Gwen's speech at the end of The Amazing Spider-Man 2 when he, he gives up being Spider-Man and he just doesn't have the strength to go on anymore. And he, it's the memory of her and her love that inspires him to keep going. And, you know, she tells him that, no, there'll be days when you feel you're alone and that's when hope is needed most, no matter how buried it gets or how lost you feel. Promise me that you will hold on to hope. Keep it alive. We have to be greater than what we suffer. My wish is for you to become hope. And even if we fail, what better is way 
is there to live. I love that because, you know, it's the leap of faith. It's all the, it's all the things that you guys are sharing here. But I think, um, I'm inspired by the way that, um, and this is this book here, Spider-Man philosophy talks about this is that, um, he's able to understand, go through his life and understand what it means to be the active protagonist to, he knows the story that he wants his life to tell. And he goes all into that and he fails and he struggles with it, but he holds on to that and he pursues it no matter what it costs. As I shared at the beginning of this episode, like Spider-Man is my favorite fictional character because I believe that with any character that, you know, fiction is not just silly nonsense, that the art that we allow to influence our life can influence who we become. That's an idea that Aristotle had. And I think that the best art can imitate life in the most compelling ways. And I don't think there's ever been a character in fiction that I felt more realistically captures some of the struggles of growing up into an adult and some of the ordinary everyday struggles um, that we deal with about finding out who we are, what choices we're gonna make, where do we belong? And I know for my life that I felt like an outsider at times. I've been bullied. I've gone, I've had relationship issues and problems and trying to balance life out and trying to make all things work. And there's something really cathartic about getting to put on a Spider-Man costume and going to visit people. Mm. And it's almost like a form of therapy um, for them because I've had moments where I've been in the costume and I've gone to different places in these months and I've had people that have hugged me so tightly and have told me things about their lives and just about, like you realize how powerful the weight of what you're doing is um, and what you represent. And you realize whether it's kids or, or grown adults that are hugging you and saying, I don't know if I can go on anymore and you whisper in their ear in the costume and you say, don't give up. I believe in you. I have strength. I, you have the strength, you know, and being able to give that hope for people is just, it's beautiful. And I love this idea in Into the Spider-Verse that anyone can wear the mask, that anyone can be Spider-Man. And I love adding something to the mythos with that of having it passed on to the next generation. But it's also almost like this liturgy um, this pattern of being Spider-Man and these things that come with it, including the, the trials and the challenges. And it's not for the faint of heart if you want that path. And that reminds me so much that the things that are meaningful, that we long and aspire towards in our lives are not the things that are going to come easy. They're the things that are going to take great power and great responsibility. And so it's important to understand that while anybody can become Spider-Man, that we have that potential, we got to be aware of the cost that can come with that as well. I'll, I'll end with this quote here. It's the last quote of this book and we'll be done. It says, to be sure, we love to imagine ourselves climbing walls, swinging down boulevards and shooting web bullets at bad guys. What we really admire Peter for, however, is the moral development he has already achieved and his continuing efforts on the path of moral progress. That progress is facilitated by narrating his life's quest, by making sense of his life through telling his story. 
To live his life well, he learns to achieve those goods intrinsic to his life's quest of being the best Spider-Man he can be. The virtues that he has and those others he's acquiring enable him to make choices that sustain him on his quest, that bring him closer to living his entire life well. And in the end, spending time with Spider-Man is not just entertainment. Through the moral growth Spider-Man achieves by telling his own story well, he teaches us how and why we ought to get our own stories straight. And we'll end there. So thank you for sticking it out, everybody, for this incredibly long <laughs> set of episodes. And don't forget to check out Joseph's Stop Motions, yes. where he's actually got a Spider-Man-inspired character coming in the next one. Yes, the character is called Scarlet Web. Um, it should be released sometime um, in August, hopefully. not. Yeah. Uh, sometime in mid-August. So yeah, look out for Golden Defenders. Again, it does kind of have like a Sp Spider-Man-esque character related to the universe that my stop motion's taken. And yeah, uh, look it up at Lee Stark 25 please. Awesome. And we'll have a link to his YouTube in the show notes. So thank you, everybody, um, for joining us. And um, remember, check out allthingsnarrative.com if you want to le le learn more. Check out some good Spider-Man comics and medium and uh, be inspired. So this is your... Friendly Narrative Practitioner Derek signing off, saying thank you and take care. <laughs>